0: you know what facial creams or just any creams in general they should be different color same concept like they should dry on your skin but they shouldn't be white why you ask do you really have to ask <laughs> because now i didn't put anything on my extremely dry face because my logic is if i'm thinking it you must be thinking it you're not gonna be like oh my i just came out of the shower and put some facial cream on her face no you're gonna be dirty you're gonna think the nasty you're gonna think the nasty happen so you know just an idea because this has been what happening for centuries (laughs) the cream production and the body lotion production another fun fact that i have read through my facts app and actually have remembered because it's so wild that is that if your shoes or sneakers or whatever smell you should just put them in the freezer and uh, that will eliminate the smell I just wonder who did that one for the first time and thought like that was great to share with the world. You know, you just put like the shoe is next to what your peas, your frozen meat, your ice cream. Are people okay? Truly, truly, that is the question. <laughs> Hi, friends. This is by all means necessary. It is a podcast. Um, it's, it's a true crime comedy, lighthearted spin. I don't pretend I'm hilarious. I just, you know, am a character. That's it. In the name of your host character is Maya. Hi, nice to meet you. If this is your first time here, yes, I do start these podcasts in in a wild way. If it's not your first time, or even if it is, you know, that would be great. Just like somebody starting off from a random episode. I kind of do hope people start from the latest ones. Please don't start from number one, never. First rule of podcasting, when you are just like trying the podcast, never start from the first episode. People have no idea what they're doing. I clearly do now. Look at me, sixty something. Diving straight in. Definitely no small talk. Clearly knows how to hold a mic. All that good stuff. Second rule of podcasting, it's a community, right? Interact with the hosts and the community on the socials that bam pod. Or via email, podbam at gmail.com. You fuckers from Ashburn, yeah? Can somebody email me and explain why do I have most of listeners from there? Is it again the case like it was when this podcast was called Motive? Anybody remember that? Only the OG listeners do. When I had listeners from Chicago and I was like, huh, interesting. Why do I have this many listeners from Chicago? And it just turned out to be because they thought I was a different podcast. I got a lot of praise when I was Motive. <laughs> On the socials. That's probably why, you know, they sent me the Seas to Exist deal. Yeah. <sighs> it was all fun. But now I'm wondering is the same happening in ashburn Because this is like on the regular. Like, do you guys think you're listening to a different podcast? Please don't stop if you do, you know, just move on to them, whoever they are, <laughs> and stick with me, right? And tell me why you're listening to me. Cool. Well, the case I'm bringing you today, after the expression of the day... <laughs> oh boy, you know I'm going rogue, right? We've done three massacres, and now it's two rogue cases. One, I don't know which one is not here, to be honest with you. The one I'm going to cover next week is based on the recent movie I have watched, and I'm going to cover a true case of that. You're going to know everything about it. I don't know how that's not covered by every single podcast episode, because it's one of the craziest stories out there. This week though. <laughs> well, when you let me lose, what what are your bets? Where am I gonna head to? You know, like either it's gonna be like some BDSM shit, but 99% of the time, when you're like, okay, Maya, go for the light hearted and go for what your heart desires. You can bet a family member of yours that it will be a scam. I didn't say do it. I did not say bet a family member on it. You could. You you could. Because it's, it's a scam. Mm-hmm. I thought the case of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos was bad. But then I discovered the protagonist of the story of the day. And this guy was actually a surgeon. Like, he actually practiced what he was doing. And he was killing people. And I was just like, wow. Wow. Like, all the effort he just goes into studying. And you just decide to... Kill people that trust you fully, because it's very, very special kind of surgery that these guys specialized in. Before that, let's dive in to the expression of the day, and it's a super interesting one this week. So yet again, I have just heard somebody use this this week, and I was like, you know what? I never actually looked this up, and it's a pretty cool expression. The expression is steal my thunder, or just steal somebody's thunder. And that can mean multiple things, usually taking credit for what somebody else has done. But it can also mean like outdoing somebody at a wedding, for example. That's what I mostly hear, similar expressions or this one being used to taking success or praise away from somebody like in the work environment, for example. Or just like stealing somebody's idea like, hey, Edison stole Tesla's thunder, for example. You know, nothing personal. It's not like the homeboys from my country or anything like that. But did you know, fellow fuckers, that this expression came from the 18th century and it was introduced by a playwright, John Dennis. And it wasn't introduced because of his play, no. His play hit the theatres in 1709 and the play was called Appius and Virginia, which I don't know, maybe it meant something at that time, I just think it's a boring name for a play and it's just a showcase of what the play is going to be like. So, it was about to be... Estreno? What's the word for estreno? Premiered. Premiered. It was about to be premiered. at Premiered, Maya. Oh, what is going on? At London's Drury Lane Theatre. And the play, really, no pressure on the guy, but the play kind of needed to be a hit. Why did it need to be a hit? Because a royal died. And if you don't know, even now, when a royal dies in the family, like, once the queen, Elizabeth, you know, kicks the bucket, we know where it kicks the bucket comes from. We had a on that. Go back to listen to it, if you haven't already. But yeah, that's a cool one as well. Well, once the royal dies, you have about a week of mourning now. Back then, it was six weeks. And that means, like, shops are shut, everything is shut, the business is just dead. Basically, like, COVID, but for a purpose, because the royal has died. So in 1709, it was Prince Anne's husband that died. So no pressure on John, but this play had to hit the targets, had to be a success. However, it wasn't, and it was cancelled four days after it premiered. So this guy might not have been a great playwright or just producer of plays, the theater man, but he was good at producing things, at inventing things. And he was the person that actually invented a machine that was producing those thunder sounds that you might still editing to a video or just play during a theater play. And this machine wasn't a bust like his play. It was a success to the point that it was used during the premiere of Macbeth. So Dennis himself went to watch Macbeth to see how good plays are done, I guess. And during the premiere night, he hears his own machine. He hears the sounds that it's making. Here's the motherfucking thunder. And he, it was said, stood up and proclaimed, Damn, they will not let my play run, but they will steal my thunder. And that's where the expression was coined. And hey, he was shit, but uh, his expression stuck for generations. So um, (laughs) that's an underestimation from 1709 till today. Generations, motherfuckers. (sighs) Now the next line in this script says, you know, I love my scammers. And then it just dives straight in because this is how we do it. So, ladies and gents, fuckers, who are we talking about today? We're talking about an Italian again. Mmm, this this guy. (laughs) This guy. So many opinions. I have about a 100 opinions on the infamous Paolo Macchiarini. Did I pronounce it right? Hey, I googled it. I, I, I bet it's right that is better than majority of british people would pronounce it no shade no shade Mm -mm. there is currently a trend on tiktok where like spanish people are asking how would brits pronounce certain words in spanish and it's so painful to watch it's one of the most painful things so hey i hope it lives up in every language because i test people in serbian you know we we can test them in italian everything like that okay the story The, the story The story of the day. Who was Paolo Macchiarini? Well, this guy, before his life fell apart, was actually a celebrated thoracic surgeon. I'll go into what that means, okay? I'll try to simplify it like, you know, thoracic surgeons for dummies. Trust me, it'll be probably simplified and probably incorrect, but this is how I see it in my mind. He was known around the world for introducing and actually pioneering this synthetic windpipe, or transplants of trachea. Basically, he is one of those, you know how you have, like, super doctors, super surgeons, somebody who is a pioneer in the industry, and then, because of what they publish in that industry, in, like, the medical journals, kind of like what Elizabeth Holmes has done, although she just, A, didn't have a degree in it, B, didn't practice it, and all of that jazz. Well, Paolo... Did sort of have a degree. He faked a lot of things on his CV, as we will find out in the future. But he was a pioneer in this. And his idea was, why basically take something that is so particular, like your windpipe, like your trachea, your airways. So this is what's in your throat, connecting like your mouth to your lungs. So he just thought, why get it on the market? Why have donors for it? When wait for it. You can take it from cadavers, from dead bodies. So you would extract tracheas from dead bodies and then you would match it with the stem cells from bone marrows from the living patient that needs a trachea replacement and then sort of like bond it in that way and insert it and replace their faulty trachea into their system and because it is mashed up with their own stem cells from their own bone marrow it will work because the body will recognize it kind of like with kidneys although you can yeah yeah (laughs) medicine science bitch science bitch everybody clear Yeah? Yeah? No? How about you go and read the book on advanced anatomy or whatever surgeon study and you explain it to me for dummies? (laughs) Ha ha. (laughs) Okay. So aggressive for no fucking reason. And Macchiarini shot for the stars back in 2008 when he created this first airway and he sort of installed it, operated on this woman, Claudia Castillo from Barcelona. And it was a success, it was reported by the news all over the world, and Castillo was soon back home chasing after her kids. And only once Paola was exposed, it will come that actually all of the complications that Claudia was suffering were just kept on the hush-hush. Because... One thing, this story will end in a very underwhelming way, first of all. I mean, it did so for me, so I hope if you are listening to this podcast for, you know, somebody wins kind of situation or just some form of justice, you will feel the same. And that's mostly because as this breakthrough surgeon, this guy was obviously famous from this very instance in 2008, and as such, he was operating on high-profile clients in different countries. So once you find out that somebody's a scam and has been scamming through these different countries that have different laws, have different leeways, and all of that, obviously will take twice as much time to get him even to trial, And it will be all of these other laws that you need to now take into consideration when charging him with crimes. So from this moment on, from 2008, his career skyrocketed. By 2011, he was working in Sweden at one of the most prestigious medical universities. This uni was called the Karolinska Institute, and it's one of those institutes whose professors annually would select a winner for the Nobel Prize in physiology or medicine. So here, he went even bolder, because remember, the initial thing was take it from dead bodies, use the stem cells. Here at Karolinska Institute, Paolo was like, you know what? Instead of taking the cells from donor, from his windpipes, why not use plastic tracheas instead? Mm -hmm. Does that sound okay to you? You want plastic in your throat? No? Mm. Yeah, it didn't probably sound normal to other people, but he's the surgeon. He knows what he's doing. And the first person to receive one was the Eritrean doctoral student who was studying at University of Iceland. And his name is Andemariam Bayene. And it is the recovery of Bayene that will put Macchiarini on the front page of the New York Times. And this is where we pick up for the story. Paolo Maccherini gave the revolutionary windpipes to 17 patients around the world. Most of these patients are now dead. It will take a famous woman falling for him to take him down. What were his motives? Boy, Paolo here was that infamous that he reached the US and he reached the news and of course NBC got on it. And the producers at NBC were like, hey, this would make, like, a cool documentary, you know? This guy, in everything I have watched on this guy, because at some point I couldn't read these sensationalized articles. So I watched something, I think it's called True for Lies, it's on YouTube. I wouldn't really recommend watching it, just because it could have been, like, cut down in 10 minutes, and instead it was, like, 50, and then there wasn't even, like, the last part on YouTube. I was like, what was the point? I mean, it was only good for the visuals. But then, if you want to see the visuals, just click the link in the description box if you're just following this audio, because I have a YouTube channel and then you should subscribe to it as well while at it. Clickbait. So NBC producer Meredith Vieira actually thought of calling this documentary A Leap of Faith, and she just kind of, as a teaser, said, just imagine a world where any injured or dead organ that's within you is simply replaced by an artificial one that is handmade in the lab just for you. It's like, you know, for you page on TikTok. It's like your feed and timeline on Twitter. That's it, but with organs not just that but now this is reachable according to this guy so hence why they called it a leap of faith and this is when Meredith hands the baton to one of her award-winning producers and this woman is whose shoes you're gonna be in today because her name is Benita Alexander and she is going to fall for the infamous Paolo Macchiarini So the two of them met for the first time at Boston's Mandarin Oriental Hotel in February 2013. So literally Meredith had like her first meeting with him and then she was like, okay, Benita, you're taking over, you're producing this. And when they first met, well, a couple of things happened. Benita, as she described, even in this documentary that I watched, I haven't watched like A Leap of Faith, and there's like another one, there's plenty of them made on this particular story. I think the one on ABC, I think it's a series and it's called The Con. Yeah, I couldn't find anywhere to watch that here in the UK, so I didn't watch that one. But plenty of them made on this story. <laughs> just because it's just one of those things that you sensationalize. And it's interesting. So, this is why I'm telling you that. Cool. Do you understand? Cool. <laughs> first thing that happened, Benita said that she felt like she hasn't felt before. Like she had butterflies in the stomach. She was just all shaken up immediately by this guy and just by how he was talking to her during that first meeting. Second of all, because she's still professional and she still needs to actually, you know, bring something home, bring, like, a story home, she was obviously asking him about, you know, different patients that he has, thinking of an angle for a story, something to, like, ensure the whole story to. And this is where truly one of the saddest stories of his patients comes to light, because this is a story of a toddler. And this toddler was actually brought to the U.S., from Korea for Paola to operate on her. And unfortunately, she will end up dying when she was only three years old after he unsuccessfully operated on her. He developed a technique to replace a patient's trachea with a plastic tube seeded with the patient's own stem cells. One of his patients, a toddler from Korea, that's right, good girl, named Hannah, who was being brought to the U.S. so that Dr. Macarini could operate on her. She was born with no trachea at all, so she had been hospitalized from the day she was born. She was going to be the youngest person ever to get one of these artificial tracheas. Dr. Macarini held a post at the prestigious Karolinska Institute in Sweden, which hands out the Nobel Prize in Medicine. Did I think he was going to be a part of my life? No, absolutely not. Until she started falling for him. We met the afternoon before we were going to sit down and interview him. And it was, it was the weirdest thing. He comes around the corner, he looks right at me. And in that second, something happened. I mean, I got this sort of chill through my body. Benita was a reporter doing a documentary on Paolo, but she couldn't stop her feelings for him. On top of that, little Hannah, the subject of Benita's documentary, never made it out of the hospital after her surgery. I was devastated. Um, I had become very close to her family. It was awful. Paula was really depressed and that's something that you will notice Benita, obviously because she crosses that line between being like professional and working just working with him and she starts dating him, that she was very much involved in meeting these patients as well. And what I find kind of creepy and just adds to the story and the personal touch of it, but also should be considered when obviously this actually goes to trial, hopefully case by case, is that he has creepy pictures posing next to every single one of his patients. Because, of course, it's pioneering. He needs to pose next to them to show off and for them to give interviews. And it just, it kind of gives you off the wrong vibe from the get-go, like how creepily he actually is posing next to all of these patients while he just knows that what he's doing is eventually going to kill them. Another thing that's creepy is that for years he managed to just brush it off and find an excuse of why this operation didn't work on this particular person. What he said for Hannah was just disgusting. He said scientifically the operation itself worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, let's trust you, mate. It was just a shame what happened. When you're doing something for the first time, you don't have a textbook. It was the hardest operation I've ever scrubbed on. (sighs) <sighs> then why scrub on it just a quick sideline I have a huge problem when it comes to like pioneering things like somebody did mention it during this like documentary these kind of surgeries never got tested on animals on rats on like whatever test samples you would usually test them on before moving on to humans he just immediately went and was like yeah super confident that he can suddenly because one thing work move on and do these plastic synthetic tracheas and then Hannah being, like, literally one of his first patients. You just can't do that. You can't practice on toddlers. Like, that's just disturbing just disgusting. But anyways, back to the love story. Because this is where the scam really starts to heat up. So when she met him, Benita was actually going through a divorce. However, her husband was also diagnosed with cancer at the time. <laughs> What's his name? And Paulo was really understanding A bit too understanding, if you ask me. Basically, what she said in this documentary as well herself is, like, if something looks too good to be true, it is too good to be true. And he applied the technique of what is known by psychiatrists as love bombing. And I love that word because it's so visual. You can actually imagine exactly what it means. For example, her ex-husband, she's getting divorced from him, but she realizes, like, he has the cancer or whatever. And she wasn't able to, like, travel to him at the time, something along those lines. And Paolo was, like, super understanding. So what he has done is ask her, like, okay, what would you like to do? Like, how would you like to, like, commemorate this so that you can feel like you were with him so they went and got these flowers that were in season that were his favorites i mean ex-husband's favorites and he took her out on like a motorbike to the river so that she can kind of like spread these flowers in the water and she found that to be like super understanding of the situation but paolo did not stop there within the first Few weeks of meeting him, he was splashing out money. They went to a trip to Venice, went, you know, did all of the typical touristy things on little boats on the canal, dined at these premium restaurants. Nothing was too cheap or like out of reach for Polo. He paid for everything and he'd bring her to different trips. And what love bombing is. It's truly that. Like, in the beginning, they are just too onto you. They're, like, texting you all the time. He used to record these creepy, creepy creepy-ass voice messages. Let me play some of those. Because this, for me, was the biggest alarm bell. The biggest red flag. Because, like, they just give me chills. They're so eerie. Just to give you the concept of what love bombing really is. So this is when he would go on trips and then would just like, you know, either FaceTime her or would leave her these voice notes of how much he misses her. She had finally met the person that she was supposed to be with. He would record these little video love messages to me. I cannot stop thinking at you. I'm especially proud that you are mine. I love you. you so very much. So during this period of time if you are in this kind of relationship you don't see the red flags because they don't want you to. And because they're not even letting you have enough time to like think things through because you're either constantly together or they're leaving you these like signs of affection, you know, they're sending you presents, or overwhelming you with like different gifts. Or being like, hey, surprise visit to this place. Or just sending you these voice messages, messaging you the whole day. So you don't even have the time to think for yourself until you're hooked when it's already too late. You have fallen for a person. So after a couple of months, Benita introduces her daughter from the previous marriage to Paulo. She felt comfortable enough and the two of them kicked it off immediately as well there's plenty of pictures where like the daughter's face is blurred for obvious reasons so there's different pictures of them on different trips and paulo and the daughter immediately clicked like as you know a cool stepfather and a stepdaughter would so you're now thinking when is it gonna go to My so far this sounds like my happily ever after like my disney story stop watching disney you motherfuckers stop it it will ruin everything for you you will never like you will always have fantasies and it will never reach up nothing in life will reach up to your expectations wow this sounds like a personal story maya I didn't watch Disney, but I do have unrealistic expectations. Cool. So Paolo proposes to her at Christmas. And there's again this footage where it just looked like a random gift because she's by this point showered with gifts, like for months, because it's actually just been months. So she's just showered with gifts. So she's like, hey, just another day, another gift. And she opens it and it's a ring. Yeah, not just any ring. Because somehow, apparently not in this footage, but like, Along the line at some point, he manages to slide in that the ring actually cost him $100,000. And everybody shares this everywhere in this freaking documentary. But then it came to light later that the ring actually cost one k. The ring just looks cheap. But sure, (laughs) I don't know rings it could have cost. However, I just don't know how a guy can ever approach and be like, do you know how much I paid for your ring, yeah? The ring, but you better be grateful, bitch. Like how? How else? Like how do you slide that comment in? Like, hey, I know you didn't ask, but you know the price of that ring. That ring was expensive. Wow! If you're a true control freak, you will know exactly what ring your future husband is gonna propose with and how much it costs. <laughs> Just listen, all the Scorpios out there—they know the exact price. There's no like deceit like this ever to them. There's no this bullshit. Like all the Scorpios, like if this was to come in the aftermath, they'd be like get out, get the fuck out. What do you mean? Like what? You lied to me? Like I thought I was in control. After these proposals the lies really start to pile up and all these red flags kind of seem like questionable to say the least because now every time he doesn't actually answer his phone call obviously what can she do like she knows he's operating he's like in a surgery in a different country she can't be pissed off at him because he's literally doing the most complicated operation of all times But every time when she would ask him more and more about his job, like, okay, so what did this operation entail? Like, who was it on? Because if you remember, this is not just even a personal interest, like you're dating a guy and you're engaged to him. This is like you're making a documentary on him. Like, you need this information. Because unfortunately, Hannah died, so it needs to be on somebody else now, mate. He told her that he is working for a clandestine group of surgeons. So, you know how the rich and famous have, like, home visits by the doctors? Like, you're sick, hey, I'm not gonna go in public for these paparazzi to see me going to, like, a urologist and then make up their own stories. No, they come to their own houses. So, Benita at first bought this because she was like, okay, yeah, he is, like, this brave surgeon who is operating in different countries and operating on celebrities. Cool, I can get that. But then, and I assume in the exact same conversation, he says that he is the private surgeon to the Clintons. Um, Bill, Bill and him, they're tight. Bill, Bill and him are best friends. They, they play tennis together. Mm-hmm. You ever seen Bill and Paolo Maccherini together in a picture? Yeah. No, no, no. It's private. It's classified. But they're, they're best buddies. Obamas, Obamas ring him up. yeah. yeah. M- Michelle, Michelle, she rings him every time she's sick. <laughs> he's not even a gp what is michelle what he's not he literally operates on tracheas only like it's not like even a surgeon who just operates on anything it's literally one particular thing obama's mm-hmm. not just that the final <laughs> the final cut pro of this story is he is pope francis's pope then pope yep private consulting doctor This is when the story really heats up, once he mentions Pope. For different reasons. First of all, because of this allegation, you're like, okay, yeah, wow, sure, yeah, you're Italians, you're best buddies with the Pope? Cool, yeah, totally buy that story. But also, because he takes over the wedding planning. I'm not kidding you. A guy. (laughs) Number one red flag on this list. If a guy ever tells you, I'm taking over... Planning the whole wedding. Don't worry about it. I'm taking care of everything. If they volunteer for anything, it's already worth Like, If they're taking over the whole wedding, run. Run for the hills. Jump out to the window. What are you doing? Not a single straight guy that I have ever met has ever done this. In any single relationship my friends or myself have ever had. They have never. Like, you need to push them. It's literally like forcing them. Like, hey, can you take part of this? Like... One percent. Just do it. Run for the hills, good. I mean so Benita buys into this and she just leaves everything to him. Because he has these rich contacts, rich friends, he's friends with the Pope. So of course, like it will be easy for him, right? <laughs> Please. So this next part might take a bit of understanding because it is ridiculous as fuck. So you know how he's best friends with the Pope. So he tells Benita, like, why not get married in Italy? At a Catholic church. And Benito to that says, we are both, first of all, I'm not Catholic, you are sure, But both of us are divorced. Paolo had a previous marriage as well, and he told her, like, he's divorced. So how the fuck is a pope of a Catholic church going to get them married? And not just that, but get them married, like, in front of all these people at Vatican, in Catholic church? He doesn't stop there, because this guy cannot stop at a small lie for the love of me. And this is, this next part is, again, so painful. Like, there's no reason for this kind of effort. Because there was this wedding planner that they interviewed for the thing that I watched... On YouTube. And he was so excited about this because, and again, Benita, I think, had like a brother or a cousin that was also gay. And these people were super psyched about this because Paulo said, not just that, but people of LGBTQ community will be allowed to take communion. So this wedding in itself and this procedure is for them to be the poster couple for the Pope to push forward his forward-thinking agenda. He made Pope seem like the coolest, most liberal person ever. Like, yeah, Pope is just gonna allow a bunch of people to get married (laughs) at the Catholic Church by him. Pope has the time. Listen, Pope has the time. Pope will get you married. Who who do you think you are? Pope will get you married. Anybody else on the streets. He's like the chilliest guy ever. Like, yeah, that, that seemed legit, Paolo. So Pope is sorted. He is ticked on that list, the location, everything on that part sorted now of course they're writing up the guest invitations and if you remember his guests involve famous people like really famous like the obamas the clintons bill best buddy best man at the wedding putin other world leaders of course such star-studied event needs to have equally famous performers John Legend was to perform. I don't know if John Legend ever knew of this story. I really wish to have John Legend's angle on all of this. Please, John Legend, listen, you need to give an interview. I need your story. Andrea Bocelli, the infamous opera singer from Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was gonna sing in the church, Catholic church, of course. Pope, matches. One plus one equals two. Where the Pope at? Andrea at. Location is this Castel Gandolfo, which is a castle as you could guess from that and of course in this youtube documentary they already had the invitations they have like laminated them or whatever the fuck it's called it's all in cursive and it has literally all these infamous people's names on them i don't know where they're sending them though because do they have addresses on them it's like they're not packed in like you know envelopes with addresses on them so i think he didn't Planned that part out. They were just displayed there and she was still buying into this story. <laughs> I mean, sure. Where are they going at? Give me the postcode, Paolo. And <laughs> In this interview. So she is naming the people that are going to be there and she obviously names Clinton's, Obama's. She says Beckham's are going to be there. And she says, Benita says, for some reason, Russell Crowe is on the list, <laughs> which I'm like, okay, why are you throwing shade at Russell Crowe? Like, Is amazing actor. But again, people, this was something where you can catch a person when they lie. Because this is clearly a personal affinity. Like, he's lying to the point that he knows he can sell anything. And he's probably a fan of Russell Crowe. So, of course, he's gonna be like, yeah, Russell Crowe and me and, like, (laughs) buddies, you know? (laughs) Like, watch him in Gladiator, like, I know my shit. So when a lie kind of gets from, like, this huge lie to, like, something really personal like this, you kind of got a question, is this just, you know, a fanboy? And see that as something alarming to dig more at, to, like, you know, like, really dig at that lie, because that one was definitely personal. He was definitely, like, fanning over fucking Russell Crowe in some capacity at some movie, (laughs) living his dream in this lie. The first time Benita kind of shakes up from this dream or this life she was living in was one day when Paolo just wakes up and he kind of shows her this article and it was just breaking news that this famous surgeon, super surgeon, Paolo Maccherini, was accused of misconduct. But he says, listen, it's just my enemies. Like I have like loads of enemies, loads of people that just want to slander me. And she's like, no worries, you know, I'm still gonna help you out, like, we'll get through this. She's fully supportive and on board. Not just that, but Benita also quit her job, and she planned to move to Barcelona with him. She took her daughter out of this private school that she was going to, and everything was a plan. And remember those creepy video messages that he would send? Well, there was one when he would kind of show her around this house that he already bought and was just preparing for her to move in. And she was like, okay, that's great, I guess. So you were just chilling between operations like in Barcelona in this house. Cool, why am I not going to visit it? Like, let's go, let's go now. The videos are great, but why am I not there to see it in person? Like, before I move in. And every single time she's like that super excited over it, he says, actually, I have emergency surgery today. And she starts getting suspicious because now it's a pattern. Like every single time it's like, oh actually, you know, I just gotta to travel to like Italy or like a different country. So let's go a different occasion. So this is when she starts being suspicious. But that's nothing compared to what comes next. Because eight weeks before her wedding, she is with her girlfriends at a spa chilling, living the lavish lifestyle. That she definitely deserves for like the work she has done herself, don't get me wrong. But she is headed to the reception to, like, pay for that spa day. And this is when she gets an email. And the subject line of the email is just the Pope. So she opens up this email, and there's just a link to the article. And myself, I'm screaming inside, like, don't open it. It's a scam. But it's not a scam. The article shows that Pope is actually going to be nowhere near Rome during that weekend that their wedding was to take place in July. And he's actually on this tour in South America and that was well planned. Like, it was planned in advance. Immediately from this spa, Benita just rings him and she is, like, screaming at him. She's like, what is this? Like, what kind of shit is this? Like, why are you lying to me? Like, why am I reading this now? Like, is the wedding off, like, you know, all of the questions that she probably had bottled up, like, where the Pope had, like, I thought he was all liberal out here, doing the Harlem Shake and Gangnam Style and shit, like, what is going on, Paolo? But Paolo, of course, had the answer. <laughs> and I can't believe that what I'm gonna tell you next, I actually cannot believe that he thought this was a lie. He had it out there on the ready to just roll off his tongue in this moment. He told her, Listen, it's it's Pope against Pope. You know the previous Pope, Pope Benedict? Yeah, that guy, that Pope. The first Pope, yeah? (laughs) The Pope that handed off the job to Pope Francis. He is trying to sabotage him, undermine him. He doesn't give like any further details on what he means by that. But him, Paolo, he's gonna fly to Rome and fix this. He's gonna go to Pope's house, yeah? His personal property and fix this pope versus pope situation he's going to be the judge on how the popes deal with their misunderstanding and sabotage <laughs> he is gonna save catholicism guys i mean i don't know what you don't get this guy is catholic number one he's a super surgeon but he is super catholic before everything and he is going to fix the pope's argument yeah, uh I think this was a bit too much for Benita and she was kind of like, uh huh, yeah, you're gonna fix Catholicism, sorry, yeah? Sure. This is when she starts investigating him, but she doesn't tell him. Because at this point she's like, Yeah, this is some pool shit. It's like it's been a long time. She's been love bomb, she's like this is like Mr. Charming, it's all perfect. But now nope. I just, I'm gonna, all the suspicions that I've had, I'm gonna investigate them now. And she hires different PIs, different private investigators, and she gets on the phone herself to take the control of this wedding planning and see what has he actually been doing. So, I mean, this will come as no surprise to anybody, but she calls the castle, you know, the Gondolfo thing. Of course, never heard of him they have no idea who Paolo is, calls the restaurant that is to cater him. They have never heard of him. And then because she is Benita Alexander, she works for the NBC, she reaches out to all of her friends through these PIs and herself, and she's like, listen, I need a contact at the Catholic Church. I need somebody who knows the pope who would know if this is actually correct and i need contact with the clintons because those are like the two major ones where he was like you know i'm best buddies with fucking bill it's like one of the worst person to be best buddies will like just choose somebody else choose like i don't know hillary and her campaign Like, i don't fucking know like just clintons out of everybody why didn't you say you were best buddies with the obamas bitch huh You know, that would be racially correct as well. It's, like, so progressive on one part and so regressive on the other. So, of course, all of those contacts that she contacted, like, that worked under Pope and under Clintons, have never, ever heard of this guy. So she decides to take a different approach and tell him, well, listen... While investigating this, basically, why don't we postpone the wedding? Like, you're clearly stressed because of these allegations about your misconduct. I mean, I'm, like, really busy doing nothing but investigating you, but you don't know that. So let's postpone this wedding. And she says, like, this was really painful for her because she knew, like, this is not going to lead anywhere, but she just needs to catch him in a lie and get him for good. And she had to send cancellation emails to 300 people. And obviously all of them have already planned this wedding. It was supposed to happen like a few months from then. And they had to cancel their accommodation, their plane tickets. So for everybody, these were just like, oh, shattering of everybody's dream because that's why bitches bitches be wild listen when somebody sees like another person being oh my god they're living with prince charming and having happily ever after they're like i want that i want exactly that stop it Mm -hmm. start living your own life stop looking for other people for inspiration you have no idea what's happening behind closed doors this case fucking proves it speaking of behind closed doors um you know benita yeah she now is kind of like okay I need to investigate one other thing. And that is that house in motherfucking Barcelona. Remember? He sends her videos of the house. She never sees, like, different parts at all times. And also, like, why have I never visited? Like, why have I never been there? So she, of course, doesn't tell him that she's doing this. She packs up with her friends and she's like, I'm going to get him. Let's do it. And she had the address because this guy is a complete fucking moron. So she had the exact address. They drive there and her friends Mackenzie and Nancy leave her in the car because they knew like, okay, let's go knock. Like, you know, he might not recognize us or whoever opens the door might not recognize us. And figure out that it's actually her that's behind this operation. So Nancy presses the bell. And a woman answers from the other side of the door. And she speaks in Spanish. Nancy responds to her. And she asked, is Dr. Macchiarini at home? And the woman on the other side said like, yeah, yeah, I'll send him. He'll come to the door right now. She probably thought like this must be like one of his patients. So Dr. Macchiarini comes to the door with a dog. And Benita is spying from the car, and she's like, yeah, he looks like he looks at home. She knew, like, even before the friends kind of reiterated that there was a woman inside, that this guy is living here, like, as if it was his second home. She's like, yeah, he has a double life, you know So Nancy kind of moves with Paolo here to the street, like, to distance himself, because... A woman with two young children steps down the stairs and they all see her in view and they're like, yeah, great. And her friends said, like, he didn't even look at them straight because obviously he recognized them and he just looked like an embarrassed schoolboy. And of course, he didn't invite him to the house. There was absolutely no reason for this to be anything else but shady as hell and him actually leading a double life. And her friends just leave this whole situation just being like, well... Be really sorry that it didn't work out between you and Benita. And he just kind of looked at you and was like, oh, so this is how I'm being dumped. Like, sure. <laughs> okay, I guess we'll scam another woman for no fucking reason at all, but just to lead a double life, because that's what's exciting for me. And eventually, of course, it came out through her PI that uh, he was still married to his wife of 30 years so that was who he was living in barcelona with just never divorced you know he just skipped over that part and thought she will never realize (laughs) like he just had to postpone that wedding for like other years other years why propose the effort of these people now benita is done with him like she's done with his ass personally she's thinking okay, cool, I produced this Leap of Faith thing, like, it actually won some awards, it was nominated for an Emmy. So, she's thinking, okay, I understand, like, I'm done with him, like, fuck him, I'm moving on. But, about these allegations, if he was lying about everything in his personal life... Could he have really been honest in his work life completely? Like, what if these allegations actually hold water? She actually didn't have to wait for a long time here at all, because Swedish television was actually working to expose Paolo in the meantime, as she was going through these wedding preparations. And they have broadcasted a three-part expose that was called The Experiments, basically arguing that... um, All of his revolutionary shit is technically just an experiment and that every single person has died, which we all know by now. And they exposed that this was concealed or downplayed with different scientific articles that he has published himself, press releases, and interviews. So basically just his own PR. So once this was released, facing the PR disaster of like a century, Karolinska Institute immediately says, okay, we we are on it, we are investigating this motherfucker. And within days, they fired his ass. They said his contract is just not getting extended at all. And just for you to get a scope of it, I'm just going to go through like a couple of patients because there is many of them and also there's not that many details on all of them, whether they don't want it to be public or whether because this is still technically an ongoing case. So according to a witness report, he operated on this 45 to 50 year old woman of Middle Eastern origin in a private clinic in Barcelona in 2008 But due to the complications, she died around Christmas that year. Then there was this other woman, whose name we don't even know, from October 2009, who was operated by him twice before and has received her airway transplant. But this detached soon after, and it actually caused an infection and difficulties in breathing, and she had to be admitted to emergency services a total of 13 times. And people don't even know fully what happened to this woman. It's speculated that also she has died due to the complications. There was a woman from Czech Republic who he operated on and transplanted the trachea on. But she also had cancer. So there he just managed to get away saying, well, she had cancer. She was to die anyways. Like he was a fucking cunt. And there was this woman, I'm not sure if that's like one of the ones that is unnamed. In this witness report, but the doctors have actually said she had to be seen and operated on over 20 times after this. And again, she eventually died. But because of where it is, just think about trachea. Like, you can't breathe. Like, even when you have, like, a sore throat or something, it hurts like a bitch. It just feels completely stuck, let alone if you actually need a transplant. And actually, one of the doctors compared this, and he said, like, if you need to die in a fire against dying this way, like, from complications of these surgeries, he chose fire. He chose to be burnt alive because it would be less painful. Just for you to visualize how fucked up this is. And if you remember the guy from the beginning of this story from Eritrea under Marian Bayene, his operation was in 2011 at Karolinska University Hospital and he received a plastic trachea and records show that His implant was failing and that he just managed to finish his PhD before dying one and a half years later in 2013. So what came out of this? What came out of this expose? So what we know is that in 2016, Swedish police opened an investigation into him, saying that he might have committed involuntary manslaughter. In October 2017, the public prosecutor's office announced that all of the charges against him have been dropped, but he is still looked into for about four or five cases in Sweden, classifying this as him being negligent. And during these investigations, they have also looked into his CV, and on every single version of CV, which... Yes, I'm saying that this guy had different versions of his CV that he submitted to different places where he worked at, which is like the effort, the lies. Of course you can't keep up with this shit. He would say that he was a full professor, which is like a term used in different countries in Europe. But people that had investigated him said that he has never been even on a level of associate professor in the Italian sense of the term. And these crimes have been classified as negligent because it is so new, so it's not supported by evidence, but also the crimes couldn't be proven because the patients could have died under any other treatment given, so they can't place, like, was it him or was it, like, any treatments that happened afterwards. Well, if one person is common in 17 deaths, I have a feeling it is due to that one person. Like, if there's one commonality, I have a feeling it's not rock and science to find who is at fault. The latest on him was that in 2019, Italian court sentenced him to 16 months in prison for the abuse of office and forging the documents. Remember, he's not a full professor; he's at best like associate level. But we don't truly know where he is now. I mean, doing math, he's most probably out and on September 29, 2020, director of public prosecution in Sweden indicted him on charges of aggravated assault and they have said they're obtaining the evidence and interviewing individuals in five different countries saying that the victims suffered serious physical injuries as a result of his operations and they have said at least three of these operations should be considered for aggravated assault But that's basically it. They are building a case against him, but unless it's brought to trial, this guy, from what I understand, is going to walk free. Unless people find some leeway and figure out how to actually blame him for all of these surgeries in these different countries, he might get away with this just because of the fact that he operated on people in different countries and it it might not have been him afterwards treating them which is such bullshit so that's a piss-take story of paolo maccherini what about benita what did the aftermath bring for her well she went back to doing what she loves producing she worked on different documentaries and docu-series in 2015 she was the co-executive producer on breaking the Silence. In 2009, she worked for Oxygen, which is probably some sick pay because Oxygen documentaries are decent. And she was producing Seduced by Evil, which I even heard about, and that chronicled another con man. So she's like, listen, now I know how to spot them. Now I'm going to make fucking documentaries on them. Women doing the work. Just just women out there on the streets doing the goddamn work. So what was Paulo's background? What do we know about him? And how did this guy even come up with an idea of like forging different certificates and just killing patients, to be honest? He was born in 1958 on 22nd of August, if that means anything to anybody in terms of zodiac signs. And he was born in Switzerland, but completed the medical degree at University of Pisa in Italy. And then he went to complete his master's in surgery in 1991. In 1994, he got another master's in organ and tissue transplantation from this university in France, whose name I can't pronounce. <laughs> so. so i hate pronouncing french words for the public i just hate it and what he told benita so this could be true but there is enough probability that it can also be a big fat lie is that he got into surgery and specialized in this area is because his dad kind of complained to him while he was studying like how he was feeling unwell and paolo just like went home to like diagnose him he didn't like call any other doctors no because he was too great and he could have diagnosed his own father apparently even though he's not really a gp but sure and he didn't notice anything wrong and then once he went back to his studies his dad actually died and apparently this was a trigger and this haunted him and then he decided he is going to help others In 1986, he started his own family, marrying this Italian woman, with whom he had a daughter and a son. And he said after his studies, he didn't want to look for jobs in Italy because of the concept of raccomandati, which is technically the recommended, or the pool, or the enchufe in Spanish, like the plug. The people with the connections, okay? So... It's like yeah, just saying words in every single language like somebody in the world has to understand it so he didn't want to be a probably he didn't have the connection let's be honest he probably just didn't have anybody in the politics up high to give him this connection and actually pull him into a job uh but yeah what he said is he didn't want that he wanted to learn the honest living so he moved to america and this is where he really starts lying on his CV. He said he did a fellowship in thoracic surgery at University of Alabama. But then there are some discrepancies, because according to one CV, he studies those masters in organ and tissue transportation in France, but then in another one, he studies masters in biostatistics in Alabama, and then had a PhD in life and health science at a different place in France. And for the interview for The Lancet, which is this medical magazine, I think this is the one that I know of, like the only thing that I know of because it's that established. So in 2012, he said he was restless and he was doing this because he felt if he stays in a single place for his entire life that he's restricting his capacity. So this is why he studied all of these different places, you know. (laughs) He didn't say he has multiple CVs with lies on them. But yeah, he said this is why he's doing it. So around 2000 or 2001, this article says, depending on which CV you are consulting, he became a full professor at Hanover Medical School in Germany. But Germany was, again, constricting his capacity. So he moved to Spain, where in 2005, again, according to one of his CVs, he became uh, an ordinary professor, which is a full professor there and this is where he would continue to maintain his residence hence the house and all of that bullshit. And he did speak like I listened to a couple of interviews he actually was fluent in six or seven languages so that's why he was managing to sell all of this bullshit. Yet again I'm not encouraging crime or scamming but being multilingual just helps you in life. It just it just has to be said. <laughs> uh you always sound so smug when you say it's like, I me. Mean, I can kind of speak like three languages, you know they'll be oxidado and <laughs> fucking idiot they'll be rusty all three of them, even my fucking mother tongue but hey, how many can you speak? It's like everybody's gonna fucking write me hate mail, be like actually I can speak ten good, polyglotta, good shut your mouth now and go scam, scam some people with like <laughs> shut <his> mouth, <mind>. no <laughs> God! (laughs) Every time you drink cider, you're like, I'm not encouraging true crime, but go scam people with your language skills. And because he's in Spain now, this is where, as we know, he operated on Claudia Castillo. And he had a major achievement in the history of medicine, according to every single article ever. And this is where he himself called this operation a major achievement in the history of medicine, which, to which I put somebody else needs to give you the praise. You can't be the dickhead who is giving yourself praise for all of this. Like, you just can't. Like, Lancet needs to praise you. It's like, no, no, just put this in the interview. Like, based on who is saying, like, who is giving you credit. And he was supposed to, in 2009, actually go for this full professorship. However, this doctor actually started kind of looking at him, being like, hey, yeah, you could do this, like, in an encouraging way, but also looking at what he has done, like, what he has actually performed. And because of this... Macchiarini actually decided, "Mm, it's time for me to move. So that's when he moved to his post at Karolinska Institute and had a completely different CV, as well as this medical university in Russia. And how he got into Karolinska? By deceiving Harriet Welberg, for example, who was the vice chancellor of the university. And she pushed him through, despite of certain negative references and some questionable claims on his CV. And this kind of showed to everybody, well, this guy is clearly getting a special treatment. You know, the thing that he was running away from, the recommendati, the enchofe thing from the get-go, that he was like, actually, I really don't want this. He was getting it because people saw this guy as somebody with a breakthrough in the industry. And they're like, well, we want that. Like, of course, you want to be the first institute where something like this is performed. And they have admitted later that they never tested it on animals and that they should have. It was just him pushing it and then changing it from just taking cadaver trachea to just turning to plastic synthetic ones. They did not conduct any risk assessments and also didn't consult the Stockholm's ethical review board. And also the Karolinska leadership obviously looked him as... Somebody who can bring them funding because of this, right? He's the superstar. He's the super surgeon. He is going to bring us money with these operations that he is doing. It's just the same when it comes to Theranos. they were like, this is so revolutionary. This is going to help out so many people. Let's just jump 20 steps ahead and not go through the regulations. And then what you have is people just not being able to be diagnosed correctly, which will eventually lead to death. Or in this case... People just blindly going into very specialized surgery, which will again eventually result in them dying. I hope this Karolinska Institute actually suffers some consequences because there were people investigating Macchiarini and actually have published articles and criticisms in different medical journals, but these weren't taken seriously by the Karolinska ever. And that's again because of the doctor code and because just they wanted him to succeed because it would bring such great PR and such great success for this institute. So they were like, no, he is one of us now, we protect his back. When I'm saying people were protecting him, those were the people on the top. Of course, people on his level eventually actually spoke up. So in early 2014, four of their doctors, four of Karolinska doctors, actually defied the upper management, and they said Paolo was grossly misrepresenting his results and the health of the patients. But a different vice chancellor now, Anders Hamsten, said that he wasn't just buying this judgment. He said he himself officially cleared Maccherini of scientific misconduct, saying that he just sometimes acted without due care. He's a surgeon. He should be acting with some other fucking care. And for their efforts, this whistleblowing didn't work out for those that were doing it and they were actually punished. So Paul actually almost destroyed a career of one guy because he said that this whistleblower actually stole his grant application which was not correct. But this guy was put on disciplinary and nobody wanted to work with him any longer. And I think this is the point of no return in this story, because they just allowed him to get away with everything, to just continue with his pathological lying. And of course, that is just going to lead somebody to proceed with the criminal actions in this case. After his expose that Vice Chancellor Anders Hamsten resigned, and Karolinska Dino Research as well, and also the Secretary General of the Nobel Committee... Which kind of gives me the were they silent or were they silenced? Like, did they resign or were they made to resign moment? The first vice chancellor, Harriet Wahlberg, she moved on to be chancellor for like other Swedish universities. She was also fired as well, which is like good riddance. Now, just don't give them any other jobs in any other high positions where they can continue doing this. But we really leave it at no other universities where he operated in Barcelona, in Florence, in London, Moscow, Chicago, Peoria. Like, none of them were forced to do any independent inquiries. And they should definitely be forced to, because he is the one common person that operated on these people that have all ended up dying. And it's quite a specific kind of surgery. And what I put in here, like, as the end before speaking of motives, which I can't again explain without sounding like a dummy, I put be careful with stem cell research, because it's still pretty new. And again, if there's not, like, hundreds of articles, if they have not tested something on animals, don't really buy it. That's kind of, like, the common thread in all of these articles. Because people in the industry have said these stem cell clinics just sprung up all over different cities. And they're offering to treat anything. Anything that's wrong with you, they can apparently treat. And instead of giving you, what I said, clinical data, how many successful patients, they're just giving you different testimonials, which can be faked as we know. And obviously, once you have desperate patients and desperate family members who would just try anything to save their loved one, they're going to fall for this and aren't going to wait for mainstream medicine, for something that's actually tried and tested to come along. And that's where people like Paolo Maccherini try to swoop in and get their minute of fame, or in this case, years of fame, and maybe no prison time, which is just bizarre. But that's the case of Paolo Maccherini. What do you think about the guy? Charming, huh? People in this documentary are like, he looks like George Clooney, I'm like if George Cooley was bought on like a flea market okay like nope his nose is bigger than mine okay that's saying something okay <laughs> also there's this creepy picture where he looks like as if he is posing for tinder but he's in his like surgeon gowns and i'm just like please get him away he is a creepy motherfucker who leaves creepy notes and tries to sway these women f- for no reason into his life so what motivated him well I think a lot of people, when it comes to Macchiarini, are going to look into this from the angel of death kind of position. And angels of death do this, like which is like killing patients for different reasons. I think the reason why Paolo was doing it was just purely sadistic, because he was using his position to just exert his power and control these victims in order for him to appear as a hero. For him to be seen as this groundbreaking surgeon. So just for his own benefit, and he did not give a fuck about any of these patients. Because had he done so, he would have stopped. After like first, second surgery, that he realized like, okay, this... I could maybe blame it on somebody else, but this really could be me. He would probably stop and being like, hey, actually, this is not as groundbreaking. You know, this is the time to stop. Like, it doesn't actually work. Sorry, like, I'll work on it. You know, we'll test it on different threats and stuff and i will come back to it. But he has never done that, has he? And this Harvard professor, Ronald Schoten, actually compared him to psychopaths who give their diagnosis at a distance. So he said Maccherini is an extreme form of a con man. He is clearly bright and has accomplishments, but he can't contain himself. There's a void in his personality that he seems to want to fill by conning more and more people. Usually people can compartmentalize, but Paolo was a scammer and also a pathological liar on all fronts. So I looked into pathological lying a bit, because you can probably see him as the sadistic person when it comes to his job. And you can kind of see the motives behind that. Like, you know, he doesn't want to lose his job. He doesn't want to lose his title, his prestige, this groundbreaking factor of it all. Of course, why would he want to use that when he can live off that lavishly? But why does he have the need to lie and have these double lives? And, well, I think that's, again, to do with what he has said himself. He just, you know, one life is just too simple. It's not challenging enough. And also, if he was just to have settled down with that one wife of his, if he was just to be a surgeon in one country, then what happens? Somebody finds out about this. Somebody finds out a lot earlier that this guy is actually lying on all fronts and he is just scamming everybody and killing these patients. Instead, when he has these different lives, he can compartmentalize, he can be a different person in different places, and again, live what he considers to be the best life for him at that time. So, pathological liars, according to Psych Central, appear to lie for no apparent reason or personal gain. But this article said that chronic lying actually, even though it seems as a pointless habit, has deep-rooted history so those are the people that have frequently and repeatedly lied for no apparent psychological motive so these are the people that started like this from the early age hence why i highly suspect that his dad actually asked him to diagnose him and all of that story (sighs) because he lied about everything else like small things bigger things and then he just never stopped because we don't know so much about his first marriage, and that woman, I don't think ever came out to like actually speak about him. What might be the reason is that you know with her, it was probably again small lies that became bigger because she didn't know that he had you know another fiance somewhere else while he was still like married to her, but he probably realized like he's too big now; he actually wants this documentary with Benita, you know he actually now deserves all of this. So he's still going to keep, like, you know, that wife and kids there, but he now deserves more. So his lies just got bigger. Pope level bigger. (laughs) Obama's bigger. And actually different studies shown that pathological liars have more white matter in the prefrontal area of the brain. And that might impact that. And They usually have problems with empathy, emotion, but also have quicker connections with people. Hmm, does that ring a bell? Verbal fluency. Again, he was fluent. Plenty of languages, and he also knew how to talk the talk and leave those creepy voice notes. And faster vote processing. Remember that fucking outstanding lie where he was like, Pope after Pope. He's gonna go and chat with Pope, you know? But like, the two of them are just arguing. (laughs) Like, he just had that ready, on the ready. Like, how? How do you do that? But also, pathological lying can be the symptom of antisocial personality disorder. And those with this disorder have disregard for the rights of the others and are known to give different lies in order to gain status and manipulate others which i think just fully describes who paula was as a person and there are some signs if you ever want to you know give like a quick checklist to yourself if you suspect somebody might be this kind of liar to you are they chronically lying about little things are they frequently contradicting themselves and do they show little or no remorse at all about their lies? Because if, you know, the answers to those are, like, negative, then, uh, yeah, run, run, run for the hills. <laughs> Just run for the hills. But uh, while you're doing that, while you're running, yeah, and catching your breath, tell me what did you think motivated Paula? This is such a fascinating story, and I want to know your thoughts. So hit me up on the socials, DeadBandPod, Pod. Or via Gmail. And I'll read it out for you. Podbam at gmail.com. Italians, Swedes, literally in any country where he operated on. Has this made your papers, you know, the papers that I can't, like, translate? Like, do you know more when it comes to his trial and shit? Because that would be fascinating to know. I would like to, like, live peacefully ever after, knowing that this bastard is gonna spend some time in prison. That would be, like, amazing if you can share if you can find that. But yeah, this is one story that I'm definitely gonna keep on top of because you got a lot of scam. But now, oh my god, I actually have a watch on me. (laughs) Did you see this? I actually have a watch. You're going into your next Zoom call, I think. I think it's time. This week, you go in and you start, you know, questioning the people that kind of tell small lies, right? You question that person who is like, hey, Paula, yeah, you know how uh, you came in last week online, yeah? And you said that you woke up at 6 a.m. Well, why did you look like you just came out of bed, Paula? Why are you lying to all of us? What else are you lying all about? Why were you late for this particular meeting? Paula, don't start this way because they're just going to turn into big lies and people that lie, they steal. And people that steal, they kill. (laughs) This is something people like. The deja vu on this thing. Because my parents used to tell us that. It's like people who lie, they do what? They they thieves. They thieves, Maya. And then they're going to kill you. And you're like, maybe... (laughs) i don't think that's the right escalation but hey in certain cases that is the escalation they're gonna lie on their cv and then they're gonna do the job that they're not really qualified for and then they're gonna invent the whole fucking specialization (sighs) so yeah don't do that Mm -hmm. spot the liars and just you know question them every single time why why it's such a minuscule lie you catch them. You know it's a minuscule lie. And then you like keep an eye on them. Are they increasing the degrees of their lies in time? And if they do, you know, I don't know, call the HR, call the police, man. Check on their family. Are they all alive? Because just check on everybody's pulse in that family because maybe they're not. Maybe you can, you know, prevent somebody from dying. And in doing so... <laughs> i was uh, i swear to god i will finish this episode i was watching this workout i mean i was doing the workout i was also watching it more watching than doing and this woman ended it with keep making the world a better place i was like say it girl say it with me and she just didn't (laughs) which was such a painful moment i was like i thought we were on the same page girl i thought this came from my podcast yeah my ego is (laughs) i don't lie but the ego matches paolo macchiarini at certain places you know yeah how about you question you go leave this episode now and you question yourself on that yeah let's all do that and then in doing so we keep doing what you know it i just said it keep making the world a better place one motive at a time. That was the part that she was missing. I was screaming at this bitch, listen. i oh, girl, girl, I thought you got this from my podcast and you did not. <laughs> so yeah, that's me out. My out. Bye, fuckers. <laughs>